Hi and welcome to this podcast with me Geeta Joshi. I'm a curator and art dealer and the organizer for Campbell Arts Open Studios and I'm here today with Jahan. Welcome Jahan. Hi Geeta. I'm so pleased to have you on the show today and uh, we're going to be talking about licensing. So Jahan, you work as a designer and an art consultant. Tell us a bit more about the consultancy side of your work. Well, the consultancy side of my work, Gita, has been a natural development from the many years that I've worked as a designer and, and, as, a, and as an artist's agent. Um, I've set up my own company and represented artists for many years licensing their work and I'm very passionate about sharing that expertise really and so it's been a very natural progression to do artist consultancy which really focuses on a variety of things firstly on portfolio reviews and secondly on kind of demystifying some of the questions about the licensing process as well. Yeah that does seem a bit of a dark art sometimes. So what sort of artists are um, most suitable for to have their artwork licensed? Is it really for illustrators and surface designers or can it be more, you know, fine artists of doing original yeah. paintings? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's completely open. It's really, it tends to be that the different agents have a specialism. So you might have an agency who are more looking at illustrators and less at surface pattern and vice versa. And then others who will incorporate lots of different medium. But certainly you could be a ceramicist and do amazing patterns on your or drawings on your pots you can still license the image you could be a jeweler or an enamelist you could be you know an animator or obviously a singer or a writer if you're creating work visually you need a high res a high resolution image so that your imagery can be produced at a high quality but there's not really a restriction in terms of your media amazing hadn't really thought of that with jewelry and things but makes sense now you think say it so how would that work for somebody starting out? Would they, should they have a body of work already or is that work commissioned by whoever's buying it? Yeah, the interesting thing, Gita, is that there's not always a, there's often not a simple answer to the questions because uh, licensing is a very layered industry and there are a whole variety of ways that people approach it. But if you were starting out, you, would, you wouldn't ideally need a product, you'd need an example of the images that you create it would preferably show a range of your style. If you were going to an illustration agent that solely dealt with commissioned work, it would really be as a style guide and clients would look at the work and commission from it. If you were working with an agent that also shows existing imagery, which they can just license as it is, as well as commissioned work, then yes, naturally you would need a body of work with which that can be done. Okay, and what sort of... um... What are the typical products that um, artwork would be reproduced on? Because I've seen it, one of my artists that I work with at the gallery has a deal with a card company. So he has his original oil paintings on cards, but other than that and calendars, anything else? Uh, it seems to split into two quite general areas. On the one hand, it might be editorial and book covers and advertising and packaging, that kind of thing. Or it might be greeting cards, calendars, um, tins, textiles, jigsaw puzzles, anything that you can put an image on. Essentially, there's, you know, there aren't really any limits. Even candles, you know. Um, yeah, a, a real wide variety of product. 
so what is the process so an artist would find an agent that would represent them and then the agent would match them or do the to yeah. you know, the product manufacturer yes i think ideally um well again there are two ways an artist can represent themselves and, and contact clients directly um they'd need to have a little bit of information about the licensing process in order to do that so that they would feel a bit more confident and a bit more informed about what might then you know construe as part of that process but and, and they would themselves naturally match their work with them with the clients that they think they be suited for and likewise that's what ideally an agent with which you would have a good relationship would also do that for you they hopefully wouldn't show your work to a market for which you know the, the work just isn't suitable so that's all part of the agent's job to get to know what really is a important and of interest to the artists but also what's of interest and importance to the client and can those things come together and it's often not just about what the artwork looks like it might be whether the artist is very busy doing other things so therefore can't necessarily turn something around quickly. It's a very layered, there's a lot of knowledge that needs to be found out about how an artist and a client might work, uh, as well as whether or not there's a visual match. And then how about in terms of, um, so when there is a deal that somebody's going to have their artwork put on, let's say a calendar or a tin, do you usually find there's a kind of quite a lot of back and forth or... Yeah, they can be. It really depends on, on the project. So, yeah, again, it's, there, it, it can work in lots of different ways. It, it really does depend. Um, but it's interesting, I put a call out um, earlier on my Instagram stories as to what questions would people like to ask. And that, that we were doing the podcast today. And um, the, one of the questions which did come back was what you've just asked about which products do um, do the images get put onto? So that's that's great that you've asked that question. Um, and the second one was talking about the process of the actual payment, um, which I'm sure is something that you wanted to ask me about as well. Um, so now you've raised it. Talk to us about the the payment process. Is that a flat fee or is that recurring? How does that work? So yeah, the question was really how how do fees versus royalties? How is when is it? When is it better to choose flat fees over royalties and vice versa? Um, so yeah, it tends to be either a flat fee, which is a one-off payment, um, and that doesn't you you wouldn't then get anything subsequently, whether even if the design were very successful, um, and obviously the design could not be very uh, not do very well, in which case the client has taken a little bit more risk and paid up front. Um, or royalties whereby in theory the artist can benefit by the success of the design by receiving less money up front um, and uh, receiving a, a percentage of the trade price for which every time the item is, is sold and that varies depending on, on the product area and the client and the territory that it's sold in so there's, there's lots of different parameters but um, generally a flat fee is a better thing to choose if a client is only using one or two images and generally a royalty would be recommended um, if they're if they're really kind of investing in using a lot of images and creating a range that would be my sort of basic distinction really between the two and also like how does that work with um, a company that wants to you know use the designs do you find that they're quite often seasonal rather than 
you know, they're going to be using them for five years. It might just be like 2018, I don't know, summer um, bed bedding or something. Or yeah. do you find they have much longer term relationships? Again, it, it, it varies. Um, Christmas designs, for example, can, can be much in the sh around for a, sh a much shorter time. Um, but I've, got, I've worked with companies who have still got the same elephant design in their collection that they had 25 years ago. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it, is, it is very variable. But often cus customers will look specifically for a range which is spring, summer in its colours, um, or likewise autumn, winter, um, so that they can bring those products into the shops at those times of year. Um, but usually it would be sold really for more than one season because there's a lot of investment of the company's time and obviously their, their financial investment. So ideally it's, it's best if it's the in, in the shops for longer so that they can maximise on, on their efforts. And in terms of lead time then, because you just mentioned seasons as well. So we're in, where are we, February 2018. What season would they be looking to buy now? So I'm already licensing selling work for, um, well, Christmas 2018 is finished already. So the product that, so I'm, I'm up in Birmingham today for the Spring Fair, uh, which is the biggest um, trade fair in, in Europe for all sorts of different products. And companies will be selling work for the for Christmas, for this Christmas already. That's, so we're in February and that's all you know, the products already sitting on the shelves at the trade fairs ready to be ordered. So we're now selling uh, for 2019. For spring. So yeah. in terms of that then, when did that start? Because obviously you're, if you're in, at the trade fair now, yeah. those stands have got merch on there, right? So they're ready to take orders from retailers. So when yeah. would those designs or mock-ups have been created? Well, some of them, it will probably depend on where they're manufacturing it. If they're making the, um, you know, if it's being manufactured in the UK, some things may have gone to print last week at the last minute, you know. Um, ideally, they would have been finalising everything September, October time. Um, and if everything, or if a collection is produced in, in China, for example, they would need a, a much longer lead time of, usually it's a minimum of three months you know for them to get the product samples back so some companies do both so thinking about um again just the trade fair again like obviously that is one of the places they also test the popularity of you know these designs that they're speculating spending you know money on right yeah. um do, do you find that they also might actually decide not to go ahead and produce something mm -hmm. Well, with a lot of this, um, I think that's a very good question. A lot of the product is, there's already been a commitment to the, the number of units that they've, that they've manufactured. Right. So there may well be items of which they've got 3,000 things, you know, they've got 3,000 items sitting in the warehouse. But certainly, again, it's back to the manufacturing process. For certain things that are made within the UK that they haven't, need to make that made, haven't needed to have made that investment, they may well be showing a small range um, to, to get a, a sense of what the interest is um, and that might then dictate how they move forward with it but generally it's it's a product that's they, that they've committed to so they, they're doing the various trade fairs because we had top drawer a couple of weeks back yeah. right so yeah. they're doing the yeah. circuit okay and in terms of um 
just something else that came up around manufacturing. How much input, if any, would the artist have about, so we've, you know, say the artist has agreed to have their design put on a, a tin, a biscuit tin, and if they don't like it, how much say do they have on, on that? Is that the agent's role? I mean, what's a... Yeah, absolutely. I think this, is, this goes right back to the beginning, which is that um, really if an agent, um, or, or certainly how I work, I will find out at the beginning how an artist likes to work and how important is it to them that they um, have final approval. Obviously, um, I mean, I personally would always advocate that, that the artist does have approval, um, but it's, it's not always possible. Um, and it's important to know whether that's an absolute given and, and a deal breaker for the artist. Um, and if it is, then there would be certain projects that, that you know, you might not, might not proceed with on, on that basis. Um, you know, for example, a company might be happy to send digital PDFs for approval, but not necessarily an actual three-dimensional object by the post, because it all adds to costs. So, um, yeah, having that understanding of what the artist's preference is, is, is really important. Oh, great. So that's all sort of decided up front, right? What, um, what do you, in your experience, have been, say, the common pitfalls for beginners or people, you know, doing their first or second licensing deal? I think one of the classics is selling, selling copyright, selling full copyright. Um, copyright is an automatic um, ownership of the, of the reproduction rights of, of the image, which, which an artist has automatically. And they have that for, for their whole life and for 70 years after their death um, you know the family estate has that copyright and it's very common for artists at the beginning to naturally be really keen to have have their work published um, and and to sell for copyright which means that they can't then sell the reproduction rights for more than more than one product so licensing really isn't isn't an option the the sort of you know the the whole construct of licensing is that in theory you will be able to loan the reproduction rights for a single image for different applications to different companies over your lifetime thereby you know increasing the income from that individual image and if you sell full copyright you're you're kind of waving goodbye to that opportunity i see so um going Talking about then licensing contracts, I mean, I'm, and I know all contracts are so variable and there are many, you know, types, but would, is an ideal contract one where it's, you know, a single image on, you've agreed the surface that it's going to appear on, and, and then is there a time frame on how long they can use that for? Um, I've, I've issued licenses just for a month, um, and I've issued them for in perpetuity, which is, you know, on an ongoing basis forever um so the the time span is always variable but yes it should in basic terms it should identify the name of the image um, with a reference code it should identify the copyright of the artist um, and their name it should identify the product um, for how long the contract is um, you know the duration of the term of the agreement and does that sorry just on that does that mean that they can manufacture the product let's say it's a two-year time yeah. frame they can manufacture any 
for that those two years but if they've still got left stock in year three then they're obviously entitled yeah. to sell that well it depends that's called a sell-out period um and that that varies again depending on on the company so that would be something to look for in the contract um those are the kinds of things that you know are quite are quite difficult to remember um but yes, in, in, in theory, most companies would, would have a sellout of six months or something like that after the two years had it had, you know, was, was up, so to speak. Uh, using again an example, if somebody were to license their image to be used on that biscuit tin, could they, um, does that company that bought that license have exclusivity for that surface or could they sell that same image to another biscuit tin company yeah that's a brilliant question Gita that would also be identified within the within the agreement um, some images it's not possible to have an exclusive on because they're images which uh, for which high resolution files exist in more than one place so it's it's basically not possible to, to do an exclusive so that would for example apply to an image of Van Gogh sunflowers uh, which if you go and look in lots of different image libraries, you'll see it pop up again and again um, because there have been different photographs taken of that sunflower painting at auction, for example. Um, so there are lots of different photographers all over the world that have taken a photograph of Van Gogh sunflowers. And obviously it's the high resolution of the photograph that's actually used. So there's more than one copy of those in the world. So that's, that's a classic it could only be licensed non-exclusively um, but if it's a contemporary artist or it's an image within um, a, a collection that hasn't had that kind of um, thing happening to it then you would be able to choose whether or not you're licensing it exclusively or, or non-exclusively so um, it tends to people tend to want something on an exclusive basis obviously yeah and uh, we've heard this term a buyout. Can you tell us what that is? Yes, yes, thanks, Gita. A buyout is when the company um, is essentially buying all of the rights to to an image so that they they ha they can use it for for whatever they want want to use it for. Um, it's often used when a client commissions something because they have uh, in their mind they also have some intellectual uh, property rights. In, in that image because they've you know they've thought of the concept so a buyout will often be that you you, you therefore afterwards can't license it for, for other things ever or for a set time no it's, it's usually um yeah that's that's usually sort of a slightly different thing and how about um if an artist has licensed an image and then they're going to be doing say open studios can they still sell if it's a print can they still sell editions of that or you know if they've put that design on a mug can they still sell that directly yes yes it's usually a separate um completely separate thing um and artists uh, in, com in compared to compared to the companies they would be selling them in smaller quantities so even if it were the same kind of product, it's, it would usually be absolutely fine. Um, but yes, absolutely. An artist can sell their original artwork, even if they've licensed um, that, that original as, you know, as a mug or, or a print. They're two separate things. Brilliant.
So where, where can people find out more about this? And uh, do you want to give us the link to your website and things as well? Yeah, um, I've, I do a session, which is an introduction to licensing, which kind of goes through a lot of this stuff and gives people a little bit more time to ask um, go into more detail. So my website is uh, shahan.com, which is J-E-H-A-N-E.com. And there's a link on there um, about my consultancy and people can just get in touch and I can send them some more details if they're interested. Um, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And what's your um, Twitter and Insta handles? Uh, I think they're both the same, helpfully. I've just changed them. They're shahan underscore uh, limited. So I've, I've just set up a new, a new company, Shahan Limited. So I've, I'm trying to keep everything consistent. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks very much for all your help. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Gita. Thank you. <laughs>